welcome to the Cary Church Podcast. For more information regarding Cary Church, visit www.cary.asn.au. Good morning, everyone. Uh, this morning's reading is from Genesis 15 and also um, Genesis 17, uh, verses 1 to 10. The Lord's covenant with Abram. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Elzia of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans, to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, three of three, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all of these to him, cut them in two and arranged them in halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for four hundred years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nations they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out of their great, uh, out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sins of the Amorites have not has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun has set and darkness had fallen, a smoky firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. To your descendants, I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river of the Euphorites, the land of the Kenites, Kenzanites, Cardamites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites and Jebusites. The Covenant of Circumcision. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I 
I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you, the whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner. I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Don't, ah, there we go, I am now. Well, if you don't know me, I'm Brian Harris. I serve as the pastor at large here at Kerry, and very good to be with you today, uh, able to look at the second part in our series on Abraham. And uh, as we kick off, I'd like just to ask you if you, ever, if you ever dwell in the realm of if only. I mean, are there some if onlys in your life? I know for myself, when I was a child, a uh, little boy, my great if only was, if only my father were a king and I could be a prince. And I thought that that would be a wonderful thing because I was remarkably foolish. And then as I grew up and became an adolescent and when I was a young man, my if only was, if only instead of being five foot nine, I was six foot two. I'm sure that people would have taken me much more seriously and I would look ever so much more impressive. And now that I fly a great deal, I just say, thank you, Lord, that you never answered that prayer, because I see all these tall people with their knees jammed into the seat in front of them, and I say, five, five foot nine is fine for me. In fact, Lord, if you want to make it five foot two, that's absolutely fine. Uh, you know, there are great benefits there. Some of onies in life are much more serious, aren't they? Sometimes people might say, if only, if, if only my parents hadn't died when I was young, if only my life would have been so very different. Someone might say, if, if only... If only I didn't struggle with depression so much. If only my life would be very different. Or if only my marriage hadn't broken down. If only things would have been so very different. Some, some of onies are haunting and they're very poignant. And sometimes they live very much at the surface of who we are and they, they bubble out just immediately, spontaneously, because they, they're there. They're just there the whole time. And as you read this account of Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, you realize there was a very significant, a very dramatic, if only, in his life. And you see it uh, as you read these opening verses in Genesis chapter 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. I mean, these are, are lovely things that God is saying. Abraham, I'm your shield. I'm your great reward. I'm, I'm your God. I'm your sovereign. I'm your king. I'm, I'm watching out for you. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me? What can you give me that is worth anything at all? What can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And you see the if only right away. If only I had a child. If only, if only, if only the, 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 the promise that I would be a great nation. 
If only the promise that you gave me when I set out from Haran to begin this journey, where you said to me that if you go, I'll give you a country, and I will make you a great nation, and all the nations in the world will be blessed because of you. If only it looked as though that could actually be true. But how can that be true when I have no children at all? And I've already figured it out. Eliezer, who is my, my chief servant, he's the one who's going to inherit all the stuff that you've given me. So God, yes, thank you very much for all the stuff that you've given to me. But the point has come when actually I have quite enough. And I can't do with any more things. And I don't need any more things. But you've not given me the thing that I really wanted. A child of my own. If only. If only I had a child. And it's a haunting. It's a haunting little uh, sequence which you see there. And you sense something of the heart of Abraham. He's well into his 70s now. His wife, Sarah, is in her 60s. And though God had promised them that they would be able to be fruitful and have children of their own, it doesn't look as though it's going to happen. And then this covenant comes along. And this is a passage about a covenant that God makes with Abraham. And it's a promise that God gives. And listen to what it is that God says. I, uh, you know, Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And you must imagine, and kind of just the wilderness area. And the stars at night, you know, in an area without lights anywhere, they're just numerous. You see them every, everywhere. And as Abram looks up and he sees the sky that's just filled with stars, God says to him, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now, now, in many ways, that's a remarkable little verse there. Why did Abraham believe God at that point? I mean, true, God had been with him on the journey up until this point. True, it had been an interesting journey. But there was no real sign that this was actually going to come true. There was nothing to indicate that this could now suddenly happen. But we're told that as God speaks and as God makes this promise, Abram is given this, this extraordinary sense of actually this is going to come true. And I guess it probably says something about the nature and the character of God. And it says something about the nature of God encounters. That when we truly encounter God, we know that no matter how remarkable the promise might seem, we can actually trust it. I don't know if you, like me, uh, quite often get spam mail uh, in your email. And uh, if your spam is something like mine, pretty much every week I get a letter from someone who's saying to me that I am greatly fortunate because they have decided that they're going to gift me multi, multiple millions of dollars. And uh, how many of you get that spam letter? Yeah, quite a few of you. And have you got that money yet? Well, 
uh, week after week, I get these letters telling me that someone has you know, left me these multiple millions of dollars and I just need to get in touch with them and I'll suddenly get all these m millions and millions of dollars back. But because it's a scam, and we know it's a, a scam, and I've Googled it, and I mean, the first time it came, I was just mildly excited, you know, perhaps, you know, and perhaps, you know, actually my father was a king, uh, and I never knew about it, and I really am a prince or something like that, uh, you, you know, but then you, you, you Google the scam, and you realize that actually what happens is they say, you know, we're going to send these millions of dollars, and you reply back to them and say, well, you know, count me in, thank you very much, I'd love all this money. And then they say, fine, we'll transfer the money to you, but there just is a fee for the transfer across. Won't you please just send us $5,000 or $10,000 or $1,000 or whatever they think they can hit you for, and you, you realize that actually nothing's going to happen. Now, now, you probably don't fall for that, do you? I mean, I hope you haven't. I hope you haven't. I won't embarrass anyone by asking if they have. But if you fall for it, it's because you made a really poor judgment about the nature of the person who was contacting you. But with God, there's something about the nature and character of God that Abraham is able to believe. Now, now, now let me just hit the pause button at this point here. Abraham didn't have a great deal to go on. When we believe God, we believe God in the face of, of so much which we have. We have 2,000 years of the history of the church and of people who have believed. We have the scriptures behind us. We have a full teaching about God. But this is Genesis chapter 15. What did, what did Abraham have to fall back on? What information did he have? There were, there were just a few, a few stories that went around about how God had been involved with the world before. Stories about Noah, stories about Adam, uh, just a few handful of, of stories. But he had nothing. He had no book. He had no scriptures. He had no long history of the church behind him. He simply had an encounter with God, and he believed. And we're told that because Abraham believed God, God counted it to him as righteousness. God said, Abraham, you're a person who's willing to trust. You're a person who is willing to believe. You see that I am someone who can be trusted. As the passage moves on, it, it moves into really quite remarkable territory because we get introduced to, to one of the great covenants in the Bible. Now, now, let me say a little word about covenants in the Bible. Perhaps when you think about a covenant, you would think about a contract. And many of you would have entered into legal contracts before. If, you've, if you purchased a home, for example, you would have signed a contract, a contract of purchase at some point. And that contract would have said to you, well, this is what you're going to get. You're going to get this house. And then there would have been your responsibilities. You have to pay X number of dollars, and you have to pay it by this amount of time. And, and so it would have laid out your rights and your responsibilities as someone who was signing this contract. Now, now, in some ways, but only in some ways, a contract is similar to a covenant. But a covenant is viewed as being ever so much more serious. A covenant is viewed as being ever so much more serious. So we would talk about signing a contract, but if you were Hebrew, or if you, you, you lived into the Hebrew idiom, you would talk about cutting a covenant. You cut a covenant. And why do you cut a covenant? Well, actually because the verses that go on explain to you what happens. That sacrificial animals are bought. A heifer, a ram, a goat, some, some, some birds. And the heifer, the ram, and the goat are cut in two. And as they cut in two, they're they placed one on one side, one on the other side. 
And those who are party to the covenant walk through these uh, the, 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 the cut bodies of the animals. And, and you don't have to be super imaginative to actually realize what's been said. So, so here's half of, of the ram over there. There's the other half over there. Here's half of the heifer over there. There's the other half over there. Here's half of the goat over there. There's the other half over there. And as you walk through it, as the covenant maker, what you really are saying, and you, you, you're graphically seeing it, you're saying, may I be as cut up or as dead or as slaughtered as these animals are if I fail to keep the covenant that I'm cutting. So the covenant is cut, and you basically are wishing doom on yourself, absolute doom, if you do not keep it. And, and, and so when you, you actually read this covenant that gets made here, you realize how truly remarkable it is because covenants most commonly were what we would call bilateral covenants. In other words, they were between two parties. And two parties would enter into an agreement and they'd say, well, well, we, we, we've laid out what's going to happen and now we cut the covenant and we walk through the sacrifices and we symbolically saying, this is what can happen to me if I don't actually keep this covenant now. But every now and then you have a unilateral covenant where, where only one party is the covenant maker. And, and, and this is actually what this covenant is about. God is the sole covenant maker. And God is the one who actually comes and, and makes a covenant uh, with, with Abraham. And let's actually listen to what happens. He said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came and, and came down the coxes and tells a little bit more. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for four hundred years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go, go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. And the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces." Now, that smoking fire pot and that blazing torch symbolize the presence of God. And the one who walks through this, this covenant and the one who makes the covenant goes alone. Abraham does not walk through. Abraham is not the covenant maker. This is entirely from God. God is saying, because of my goodness, because of my grace, I do this entirely for you. I make this promise to you. You will have offspring. You will become a great nation. You will possess this land. This is my covenant with you. And woe to me. I mean, imagine God effectively saying this. Woe to me. If I do not keep the covenant, if I do not keep the covenant, then it is disaster upon me because actually I'm the one willing to take the initiative with you and to make these promises to you. It is a dramatic thing that God is doing. And of course, we recognize that God, who is just progressively revealing himself through the course of history, is showing us that he is the initiator God the one who is the one who first reaches out to us. You see, this is not because Abraham does 50,000 good things. This is not earned by Abraham. 
This is not because Abraham is particularly nice. This is not because Abraham is particularly worthy. It is because God has a plan and because God is gracious. And it reminds us that, in fact, that's the kind of God we worship and adore, a God who always takes the first step, a God who reaches out to us, a God who, even though we do not deserve it, comes to us and meets us in our need. Of course, you may say, well, that's all very well. God makes us promises, but Abram had to have faith. And, of course, one of the things that Abram learned is all the people of God have to learn is that God is very rarely in a hurry. And this covenant is made when, covenant, when, when Abraham is, is, is in his mid-70s. When he's 99, and Genesis chapter 17, we're told of another covenant that's made, the covenant of circumcision. And in that, 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 that covenant, the promise is made again to Abraham. You will have a child, a child of your own. Now, now more than 20 years has passed after this first promise. And you must recognize that it must have been extraordinarily difficult for Abraham to keep on believing. I mean, it was hard enough to believe that his 60-something wife would have a child. This is now his 90-year-old wife to have a child. It is though God raises the stakes progressively. And, and, and I imagine that as Abraham lived the story, and, and remember, we look backwards at the story, but he lived it forwards as he has to live the story in faith. I'm sure that there were many moments when he wondered, is this going to happen? Is this going to happen? And he would have asked the question that people always do, why? Lord, if you're going to do this, why are you making me wait so long? Lord, Lord why it doesn't happen more, more quickly? Why, why does decade after decade go by and nothing seems to happen? Why, why, why? And of course, the answer is why? Because of the wisdom of God. Because of the wisdom of God. And God knows that in fact what he's doing is that he is creating a sign not just for Abraham but for the world. And that when the story is told, that if the story was simply a story that said, you know what, there was a man. His name was Abraham. He was a tad restless. Went off into a country. Was fairly successful. Managed to get lots of lands. Had heaps of children. They own the land now. Uh, they called Israel. People would have said, well, that's nice, but that happens, doesn't it? It happens. Some people are successful. Some are not. You, you wouldn't say, wow, you know, God was at work. And God says that story is not a big enough story. This has to be a story of a man who felt compelled to go on a journey and who heard a voice saying, you will become a great nation. And though he was childless, kept on being promised, you will have a child. You will have a child. And that through your wife, yes, true, he wavered for a while and Ishmael gets born through Hagar, true. But nevertheless, he keeps holding on to that promise. And, 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 and as the story is told, the story gets told, this nation is birthed by Sarah, a mother who is 90. And you say, a 19-year-old mother? That's fairly young. No, no, not 19, 90. And you say, what? That's not possible. And you realize that in the wisdom of God, you're being told it's not possible because God is saying, indeed, it is not possible without me. The only reason this is a credible story is because we see that God must have been in it. And, and what's more, as Abraham is given this covenant, he is warned. And you know what? Though, the, you, though this is going to be your land, for 400 years, your people will be in exile in Egypt. And in those 400 years, they'll be saying, why, O oh Lord? Or, or, or why doesn't this happen? Or if, if only we weren't here in captivity. But you know what? That's why Israel becomes a sign. 
Because people say this nation that should never have been is not just a nation where no children should have been born. It is a nation that was in captivity and should never have been rescued. But God rescues it, and, and Israel becomes a sign for the nations that the nations would believe. You see, it's the wisdom of God. And sometimes the difficulties that God gives to us, the difficulties that maybe God is giving to you, the areas where you struggle to believe, the areas where I sometimes struggle to believe, sometimes God is giving them to us so that there is a story that can be told. A story that isn't just, oh, well, that happens to everyone, but a story that's, that, that makes people stop and pause a while. And I want to suggest today that if there is some, if only, in your life, maybe it is a story that God is wanting to help you to write. And some of the faith that's needed is so that there is actually a story to tell. And don't give up too soon. Don't give up too soon. Of course, as you you look at this account, you realize that for Israel as a nation, there were three signs that were forever key signs for her. There was the sign of Isaac, this child who should never have been born. There was the sign of Israel, the land, this country that should never have come together. There was the ongoing sign of circumcision, the mark in the body that said we are the people of God. And if you were an an Israelite, you would look at those three signs and you'd say, these are the reasons that we can believe. We are so much more fortunate today. If you say, why should we believe? Why should I believe? I mean, it's very nice what you're saying, but, but why should I believe at all? And maybe there are moments when you do struggle to believe. Remember that while the Israelites were given these three signs, Isaac, Israel, circumcision, we are given a wad of much more significant signs. If that was the covenant then, God has given us other covenant signs. We have the manger. We have the scriptures. We have the cross. We have the empty tomb. We have the spirit. We have the church. And we have the one thing that we're told to hold on and to keep on believing, that Jesus will come again. They're they're signs for us, and they're signs that help us to believe. We spoke earlier on about the movie, For the Love of God. And let's be quite clear about it. That's a sign for us, the the manger, the difference that Jesus has made in the world. I mean, do you write the date ever? Do, 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 Do you recognize, do you remember that when you write down 2018, it's 2018 since what? Since the sign that God has given, that Messiah has come that Jesus has come into the world. And it's this just little jog to our memory. And this jog to our memory says, actually, God has not left himself without a witness. I mean, Israel looked at the nation of Israel. Israel looked at Isaac. Israel looked at circumcision. We look at the date, and we say that speaks about a manger, and that speaks about God coming to live amongst us. But it's not just, it's, it's not just hot air, that. I mean, we look at, at 2,000 years of history that have gone since the birth of Jesus, and you realize how history has been shaped and is different because of him. And you realize that actually there are signs everywhere that God has made a difference in the world. And if our eyes are open, we see the fingerprints of God everywhere. True, true. Sometimes the church has not done all that God asked her to do. Just as the sign of Isaac was in his own way confused because Abram didn't quite manage to believe entirely. And we landed up with Ishmael as well. 
True, signs are often a little distorted and not quite as clear as we would like. And the church has not always done everything that she should do. But nevertheless, as you look at 2,000 years of church history, you realize that this has shaped the world. And it is a sign that we can believe. We see the scriptures for, 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 for Abraham. Uh, he had no scriptures. We have the scriptures today. And we can read so many things in them. We can read, for example, the promise that gets given. Now, now we know that this gets written down, uh, you know, roughly 1,500 years ago. Or, sorry, roughly 3,500 years ago. And, 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 and that as this promise comes to, to Abraham, their promise is like this. Look up at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, so shall your offspring be. And, and we say, who are the offspring of Abraham? And we realize that Abraham is the man of faith, the father of faith, and that, in fact, all who, who trust Jesus in faith are his offspring. And we look at today, and we see that, my goodness, there are about two billion people around the world who somehow claim the name of Jesus. No, not all of them follow closely. Many, many, many millions do. And you look at this promise 3,500 years ago, and you say, that's a sign. We get spoken about these multiple millions, more than the scars in the sky. You say, we see that. We actually see that that has happened. And it helps us to believe. We have the manger. We have the scriptures. We have the cross of Jesus. And at the cross of Jesus, we realize that in that sign, we realize the depth of God's love for us. And we realize that our alienation from God can be overcome. We realize that our sin can be forgiven. And as we bow the knee at the cross, we discover that all is made new. And that, the, that, that, that we are given this remarkable ability to begin again. That we can be forgiven, that we can have a new start. It is the sign that God gives to us. We see the sign of the empty tomb. And the empty tomb says to us, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the promised one of God. And what's more, he is the first fruit of all who will be raised from the dead. And this sign which is given to us, sign which is witnessed to by hundreds of people at the time, a sign where people having seen the resurrected Jesus were willing to go to their death because they, in fact, knew that Jesus had risen and conquered death, and they were unafraid of death after that. This sign is given to us, that we can look at our own death and say, I don't need to be afraid. I really do not need to be afraid. It is a sign for us today. We get the sign of the empty tomb. We get, we get the indwelling sign of the Spirit. And when you put your trust and your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. And you know that there is a presence inside of you that you cannot fully understand. It is the sign that you have, and it's the sign that I have if we put our faith and our trust in Jesus. And we find that, in fact, God does give us power to do things that we never thought we would be able to do. It is the reminder that God can be trusted and that we can put our faith in Him. We have the sign of the church and as we look at the church and when the church lives as the remarkable community that she's called to be, we see that, in fact, we are not self-deluding, but that we are with a community of people who have had very similar experiences and who have encountered the same God and who have been called together by this God who calls us into a new community to live a new life. It is a sign for us, a sign that helps us to believe. And then we remember that we are called to believe and to trust for one more thing, to trust the Maranatha call, come Lord Jesus. For Jesus said, I will come again. You know, if I go, 
I prepare a place for you, but don't worry, I will be coming back again. And we wait in the hope that this Jesus who left this earth will one day return and all reality will be transformed all over again. Come, Lord Jesus, with all the other signs. Is it so hard to believe that one? Is it so hard to believe that one? You see, for Abraham, it was a covenant. A covenant that God said, I'm going to do it because I'm God and you can trust me. It was something about the way that God spoke and the way that God was that Abraham knew this wasn't some kind of a silly scam. This was God who was speaking. And he trusted and he saw the signs that came, Isaac. In his own time, he didn't really see the nation came, come, but it did come in due course, circumcision. For us, the manger, the scriptures, the cross of Calvary, the empty tomb, the spirit, the church, and one day Jesus returned. Keep trusting, keep trusting, keep trusting. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we live in a world that sometimes makes it difficult for us to believe. And yet, Lord, you have left us signs everywhere. Forgive us that sometimes our eyes are closed. Lord, with our own if-onlys, the areas where we struggle to trust you, Help us to put our hopes in you. For the deepest level of our being, we know that you are the only one who truly can be trusted. Thank you for signs that you give to us. Help us to see them and to keep following you. In your name, amen.